What's up, everyone? Thanks for hitting that download button once again and joining us for another edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we are in the thick of SummerSlam season, the WrestleMania of the summer, as they like to call it. And this week, we're going to bring you a special Trading Places edition of one of my favorite SummerSlam events of all time. The very first SummerSlam I ever ordered on pay-per-view, SummerSlam 1991. We are just 28 years shy of that anniversary. And I thought with the way that the landscape had changed in the WWF at that time following this event that I thought this would be a good show to kind of play role reversal and trade places with some of the scenarios um, in these particular matches. So uh, we're going to get into that in just a moment, but, uh, you know, we'd like to let you all know that we are on social media. We are a big presence on social media, and we want you to be a part of that presence. You can hit us up on Facebook and be a part of all the fun, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Hit the like button if you haven't already. If you have hit the like button, tell a friend to hit the like button. Uh, pictures, articles, archived links to shows, all kinds of great stuff going on over there. Try to bring a positive, fun atmosphere to our social media over on Facebook. So be on the lookout for all kinds of great stuff going on over at Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two and the pro wrestling nostalgia that membership a part of the kicking out at two crew that applies to Twitter as well because we are on Twitter our handle is at kicking out two K I C K N O U T and the number two um, I don't know what it is about this Twitter thing but um, I'm having a hard time really getting the, uh, the 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 nostalgic pro wrestling fans on board I don't know if it's something I'm doing wrong but uh, you know the, the following isn't as strong on twitter as it is on facebook so uh i'd like to uh improve that and i've said you know time and time again on shows in the past that uh hopefully we can build that following on twitter so if you have a twitter you use it often give us a follow at kicking out too same stuff we got going on over on facebook but 140 to 220 characters or less depending on who you're talking to and you can also find kicking out a two a part of the retromania pro wrestling podcast network that's right we're over there. We're part of this big nostalgic pro wrestling network of, of wrestling shows. Steering that ship over there is Kobe Nida, who also joins me on Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, another project I'm a part of where we cover WCW Saturday Night and WWF Superstars from 1992. They say Saturdays are for wrestling, and it should be also for you, too, when you tune in each and every week. If you love pro wrestling, then give us a, give us a follow and check us out over there on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over at Podbean. You can search for for all the archive shows from the Retromania Network over on Podbean and all other uh, podcast platforms available. So you got Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, if that's even a thing. I don't even know if that's a thing. I think that's shutting down soon. If it hasn't already by the time I'm, you know, this recording drops. Um, Spreaker, Spotify, um, SoundCloud, yeah, everywhere. Search for it. You could find it over on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. And now that we got all of that out of the way, cheap plugs aside, it's time to get into our Trading Places series covering SummerSlam 1991. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this show, uh, this is an interesting SummerSlam because things that took place following this event really changed the landscape of WWF. A lot of big changes were taking place um, heading into the tail end of 91, going into 1992, which would be a really pivotal year for the company. Um which I've kind of talked about on the uh, Marking Out the Days Weekend Warriors edition with Kobe Nida, uh, talking about how 92 is one of those years that people frown on and look at it as a down year. 
And maybe financially, it was a down year in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the, the house show attendance, pay-per-view buy rates, live events, merchandise, whatever that is, um, whatever the case may be. But uh, for me as a fan, as a viewer, I thought the content was still good. It was, it was enticing. It was engaging. Um, even at 36 years old, I find some of the events from 1992 to be really fun to watch from the WWF. Um, so we kind of, you know, set the table from the tail end of 1991 going into 92. Um, and I think it really starts with what took place following this event. And, um, I think, you know, because of some of the trading places scenarios I'm going to bring up as we go along this card, um, really could have an effect or would have had an effect on the, the programming itself. Um, you know, going into 1992 had the roles been reversed. So, uh, you know, without further ado, let's get into it. Um, Madison square garden, August, of 1991 uh august the 30th i believe of 1991 was the date um this was the first summer slam that i ever ordered on pay-per-view i got to order this at my grandfather's house and uh my friend dean came over and we watched and we you know we're in t- we were anticipating a, a great night of wrestling uh hulk hogan one of my all-time favorites uh, was teaming up with the ultimate warrior to take on the triangle of terror with sid justice as the guest referee um then you had the mat that was the match made in hell and then the match made in heaven uh advertised as macho man and miss elizabeth getting married in front of the sold out crowd in madison square garden i was a huge macho man fan and like i talked about on our wedding countdown with with my brother justin uh i grew up watching this love story that took place that transpired for like five or six years and i was emotionally invested into it so uh to see it culminate um, at SummerSlam was going to be a big deal for me. And all the other matches on the card, really looking forward to at that time um, at eight years old. So, uh, you know, yeah, let, 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 let's – overall, this is this is one of my fondest memories as a wrestling fan growing up, and especially when it comes to SummerSlam because this is what I, I, I envision SummerSlam to be. Big-time matches culminating and, uh, you know – storylines you know either ending or beginning at this event at SummerSlam and really changing the landscape of the WWF into the end of 1991 going into 1992 so let's kick things off let's get started I know I've been kind of stalling here giving you my nostalgic memories but let's start off with the opening contest from this event it was the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith the Texas Tornado Kerry Von Erich and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a six-man tag team match against the Warlord and the team of Power and Glory Hercules and Paul Roma, all three of those individuals managed by the Doctor of Style Slick. Going into that event, this was another. This was a random match that was kind of thrown together. Um, it, there wasn't a, a lot of substance in the storyline. As a matter of fact, I think this was just like announced as like almost a bonus match, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. For those of you out there that would like to correct me, by all means. You could do it on our social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out or two, or our Twitter handle at kicking out two. If you feel the need to uh, correct me and try to put me in my place, and that's fine, you can do that. Um, so, yeah, this match was a, a fun opener to say the least, um, but this match was really just designed to get the crowd going in Madison Square Garden. Um, and history showed us that the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric, won this match uh, with the Steamboat's crossbody off the top rope to Paul Roma securing the victory. Now, let's trade places. Let's play role reversal. Let's see. 
what would happen if Bulldog, the Dragon, and the Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, were unsuccessful in this match? And the, the Warlord, Roma, and Hercules ended up the victors. Um, you know, Bulldog at the time was very popular. He was starting to gain a following in a singles role in 1991. So I feel like if Davy Boy Smith um, were to have uh, eaten a pinfall here in this match, it, it, it would have slowed down his momentum. Um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat had returned to the WWF um, not too long before this event couple months prior i believe um with the new dragon moniker with breathe you know spitting the fire out and uh you know the 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 gimmicks that he was wearing on on his head and the 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 dragon wings or whatever you want to call it people look back and think it's stupid i certainly didn't have a problem with it steamboat was steamboat to me he was still a great performer it didn't change his 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 presentation um when it came to his in-ring work so uh you know even as a kid i thought it was pretty cool um you know, if, if he were to have eaten a pinfall, I think it would have stopped his momentum, too, even though in hindsight, looking back on it, Steamboat probably um, didn't really um, accomplish much in this run um, as the Dragon. And then you have the Tornado, who came in pretty hot, won the Intercontinental title from Mr. Perfect at the SummerSlam a year prior, and then he you know lost the title in quick fashion. And he just kind of, I wouldn't say faded away, but he was just there. They didn't really do a ton with him after that. And um, I remember as a kid being disappointed that um, he wasn't in the title picture again because I remember Kerry Von Erich from the wrestling magazines. You know, I didn't watch uh, World Class um, in Dallas during the heyday. I wasn't old enough, but I saw the pictures in the magazines. And um, I saw the picture when he beat Ric Flair for the NWA world title in the after mags. And, you know, I was I saw Kerry Von Erich as a big deal as the Texas Tornado in the WWF. And when he just didn't do much, I was, as a kid, I just remember being disappointed. Like, I wanted to see more Kerry Von Erich because he was exciting to watch. And, you know, he made me believe that that discus right-hand punch was the deadliest punch in all of wrestling, especially when he nailed Mr. Perfect with it that SummerSlam the year before. So out of the three, Kerry Von Erich is probably the individual who could take the pinfall and it doesn't really hurt him much because they weren't doing much with him. Um, he, he wouldn't turn into, you know, Joey, the jobber for, for the rest of his time in WWF, if he lost in this match, but there wasn't a solid trajectory for Kerry Von Erich in 1991. He was just a, uh, he was a guy in the card pretty much. And, um, I think of that a lot of that had to do with um, his personal issues as well as um, his injuries. And uh, so I, I think that those are a few of the reasons why WWF management at the time didn't take him very seriously in a prominent role. But they used him when they could when he when he was reliable. Um, now, this victory, if this were to have taken place, if we were to trade places for the warlord, Paul Roman Hercules, um, I don't think it does much for them. Uh, Warlord was coming off a rivalry with Davy Boy Smith from that WrestleMania earlier in the year. Um, and maybe, maybe if Warlord were to have taken the pinfall, he could have been the next guy to be, to have been, you know, in a featured rivalry with the ultimate warrior who we'll get into later on. 
Um, I could see something like that. Warlord, you know, was was looked at as a pretty impressive big deal um, in the lower to mid card in the in 1991 in the WWF, managed by Slick, who had managed a number of guys, and so. I feel like Warlord would probably be the one that benefits the most from this victory because he had the most promise in a singles role. And Vince loved big guys at the time. So I could just imagine a Warlord rivalry with like an Ultimate Warrior or even a Hacksaw Jim Duggan um, or even Sid who was coming in. You know, they needed to build Sid up to be in many ways the heir apparent to the throne because it was rumored that they brought him in to be the next guy after Hogan um, who it depends on who you speak to and so I feel like Warlord winning this benefits him the most or taking him getting the pinfall victory it benefits him the most and he could move on to bigger things like with an ultimate warrior or with a Sid um, maybe even a small run with Hogan maybe but I'm not I, Sid and Warrior seem more, the more likely candidates. That seems to be more Warlord speed um, at that time in 1991. Was it due for Hercules and Roma? Well, not much, uh, you know, for the two of them. They were a team that was put together, and as a kid, they seemed like a very important duo. Uh, the way that they uh, disposed of the Rockers very quickly at the SummerSlam a year prior, um, but then the way they were just kind of disposed of at WrestleMania against the Legion of Doom earlier in that year. Um, they didn't really seem to be a team that you took, you took very seriously towards the end. Um, Roma, good looking talent, um, you know, pretty solid in the ring. Hercules was established for a while. You, you, you look at that on paper and you're like, yeah, it's a pretty solid team. They could make some waves, but in 1991, they really weren't. And I don't think they were going to do much following um, this had they, had they have won. Uh, so uh, that's where I stand when it comes to this first match here. Um, if anything, the warlord is the one that really gains the most. Um, like I said, when it comes to Kerry Von Erich, he's probably the one that could take the pinfall the, the and, and, it doesn't hurt him um, because they weren't really doing anything with him. Steamboat and Bulldog, they go off and do their own things. Um, Davy Boy looked like he was destined for a singles role. Uh, maybe they were to continue a Davy Boy Warlord rivalry, but we already kind of saw that. So, um, yeah, that's that. That's where I'm gonna. I'm just gonna leave things at that when it comes to this match from uh, from from the opening bout of SummerSlam 1991. Let's move on here because the next match on this card was Bret the Hitman Hart challenging Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship. This was Bret's. Um, this, this was his big moment in a singles role. He had been established as a tag team wrestler with Jim the Anvil Nightheart as a part of the Hart Foundation for a number of years in the World Wrestling Federation, probably, you know, six or seven years. And he had done it all in tag team wrestling, but they saw something in, in, a, in a singles role. And they put him in there with Mr. Perfect. And, you know, history showed us it was a classic. When people think of the SummerSlam, they think of this match first more than they think of anything else, in my opinion. WWE, when they put up, you know, retrospectives on the network or they show clips on TV with SummerSlam, this match usually comes up because it's such a great match. And I remember as a kid really enjoying this match, the, the, the athleticism from the two guys. At the time, I did not know that Mr. Perfect was hurt. I didn't know that this was going to be it for him. But um, 
as a kid at eight years old, you know, my friend Dean and I, we were watching this, felt like that, you know, we were watching something special. You know, the, the, the coronation of, you know, Bret Hart into superstar status in the WWF um, when he won the Intercontinental Championship from Mr. Perfect. Now, this is an interesting scenario here because um, I think Mr. Perfect's injury plays a big part in how, you know, this role reversal can play out. So we trade places here for a moment. And let's say that Mr. Perfect was not injured, okay? And he was not going to have to step away from in-ring action. Um, A Mr. Perfect victory with the Intercontinental Championship over Bret Hart, I think at this moment in time, makes sense in 1991. Um, Bret was still new to the singles game as a singles competitor. But, you know, back then... The, 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 the standard formula when it came to a baby face and a heel and a championship involved was the baby face chases the heel. There's the, there's the money in the chase. And Bret Hart was gaining a following in a singles role and people were getting more into him at that time in 1991 that I feel like if Mr. Perfect were to have, you know, come out the victor by hook or by crook and these two put on the classic that they did, um, but he just managed to gain the victory. The audience would still respect Brett. They would actually respect him even more. They would love him more, and they would want to see him go after Mr. Perfect again for another opportunity to title. If Mr. Perfect didn't have to walk away because of his back issues, I feel like this could have dragged on a few more months. We could have seen some more title defenses between the two, um, or title matches between the two, with Brett, you know, culminating. Um, with a with a victory culminating, you know, in in becoming the Intercontinental Champion, um, how long would that have gone in 1991? Um, if Perfect wasn't hurt, who knows? Um, maybe Survivor Series. Maybe it would lead to something before Survivor Series. Uh, maybe it would lead to something after Survivor Series. Maybe the two guys would captain a team, and we would see Brett beat perfect in the survivor series match and then it earns him another opportunity at the title um i i feel like it's something that given the skill level of both individuals they could have made it work for however long they wanted to in 1991 and people would have still watched it um and like i said it doesn't do anything to hurt brett it doesn't do anything to stop the momentum of his singles you know, ascension uh, to the to the to the top of the Intercontinental Championship division because people, like I said, if 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 the two of them tore the house down in Madison Square Garden, you know, I can I can picture it in my mind right now. Perfect walking away with the Intercontinental Championship, barely, just barely. Okay, and you had Gorilla and Bobby and and Roddy Piper on commentary, um, you know, talking about what a great match it was. And you see Brett in the middle of the ring looking dejected, looking um, disappointed. And the the audience in Madison Square Garden, who is a very smart audience and they know their wrestling, especially, you know, Northeast wrestling fans in New York, especially the Garden. They know their wrestling. Um, I can picture the garden giving him a standing ovation and on commentary, we can, we can, uh, foreshadow a future showdown between these two. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I see it. I think it adds some longevity to Mr. Perfect's, um, run as the intercontinental champion, even though he had quite the run, um, 
you know, with the championship before losing it to Brett in real time in 1991, I think it would it would add another layer and another extension to his uh, to, to, to his character by keeping the title and having Brett chase him for it. And then you finally have that big moment. Now, I'm not saying that the the, the win in 91 for Brett, you know, wasn't a big moment because it was huge for him. It absolutely was. And it made him into a single star. It made him um, into one of the flagships of the company at that time. You know, when you look at names, when you think of WWF at that time, you thought of Hulk Hogan, you thought of Ultimate Warrior, you thought of Macho Man, you thought of Jake the Snake, you know, Mr. Perfect. But you you also, when Brett won that title, you, you took him seriously as a singles competitor. You thought of Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, so I, I think losing... In, in, the, in the manner that he could have in 1991 would only get the people behind him even more to eventually chase the championship. And then when he wins that title, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's looked at as a big deal. Maybe even the Saturday night's main event in November of 92 um, that was on Fox, uh, the, we could have seen Brett and Perfect culminate with a, uh, a Brett victory and winning the Intercontinental Championship. And he goes into 92 um, as the... Uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm mistaken. Yeah, because I'm getting ahead of myself a year later. Um, maybe we see Brett and uh, Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship on a random Saturday night's main event at the end of 91 or um, hell, the this Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view. You know, that was another pay-per-view that was thrown together at the last minute. Um, maybe we could have seen something like that. Brett and Perfect for the Intercontinental title. This like final showdown. Months of these two guys just... Uh, you know, tearing the house down all across the country. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that to me is probably one of the more interesting trading places scenarios here when it comes to um, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, the what ifs and the trajectories of both Brett, the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect in 1991. So uh, let's move on here. We have uh, the next match was the Natural Disasters Wrestling the Bushwhackers. Um this was a bathroom break match for me. I remember as a kid, um, but this match really started in 1991 based off of Jimmy Hart looking to acquire another individual to join his stable of, of, of talents. And uh, he was looking to um, bring Andre the Giant back out of retirement. This was during a period in time where Andre, I guess, kind of you know pushed Vince and management to allow him to work a limited schedule. He wanted to get back in the ring. He didn't want to go out the way he did. He loved what he did. Um, and I think this was an attempt at management to kind of see um, where this was going to go. And unfortunately, Andre's health with his knees and his back uh, wouldn't allow him to return to the ring. But um, they management still thought that Andre's presence on TV could be helpful to building other guys. So they had Earthquake attack Andre. Um and you know take his knees out and then not too long after that um earthquake formed the natural disasters with typhoon who would end or tugboat who would end up becoming typhoon uh, a match on superstars or wrestling challenge one of the two saw earthquake and the nasty boys face tugboat and the bushwhackers and um Tugboat turned on the Bushwhackers, and we saw the newly formed natural disasters right in front of our very own eyes. So the combination of, of, of those things um, helped put this match together. It was, a, like I said, it, was, it, it wasn't the greatest match in the world. Um, it was very predictable, but um, history showed us that uh, 
Um, well, first, before we get into the finish, um, Andre was present for this match. He was in the Bushwhackers' corner while, you know, Earthquake and Typhoon had uh, Jimmy Hart a part of this match. And there was, you know, pre-match interviews and there was threats by, you know, the natural disasters that they were going to get a piece of Andre when it was all said and done. Andre was walking on crutches, so he was very, um, you know, limited in what he could do. He was just basically there to just stand in the corner and just be a presence, um, you know, from a, uh, a, a physical standpoint. So you didn't really expect much based on, you know, uh, Andre's health. However, um, you knew something was going to happen. Something was going to go down. And uh, the, like I said, the match wasn't anything to write home about. History showed us that the natural disasters made quick work of the bushwhackers. However... Um, Another scenario that I didn't think when I was going, you know, going through my notes, I didn't think that um, there could be a realistic um, trajectory for these two teams based on the role reversal. But after doing some thinking, um, this one might surprise you here. Uh, let's let's just say that the Bushwhackers got the victory. They managed to squeak one out over the newly formed natural disasters, earthquake and typhoon. Andre, like I said earlier, was at ringside on crutches. Andre was attacked by Earthquake and had his knees taken out. And Andre was looking for retribution one way or another. Now, I can picture in 1991 um, somehow the referee getting distracted with one bushwhacker and Typhoon on the other side of the ring. Earthquake goes to set up to do his big earthquake splash. He runs the ropes. Andre takes the crutch, nails Earthquake in the back, and then one of the bushwhackers, you know, makes the cover, and we get the upset victory. Garden explodes. Not like anything huge. It's not going to be a pop like when Bruno lost or won the belt back or, or, or when Dusty and superstar Billy Graham, you know, bled buckets in the Texas bull rope match. But I think the car, I think the crowd would have been into it um, because they loved and respected Andre because Andre was such a big part of the history of, of wrestling inside Madison square garden that, you know, the bushwhackers kind of got that, that Andre rub, you know, the bushwhackers were, were loved, but they weren't like, you know, respected as these great wrestlers. But when they were with Andre, people looked at them as, you know, legitimate threats, I guess you could say, or someone to take seriously in some regards. So I could picture Andre using the crutch, costing Earthquake and Typhoon the match. Now, let's go back to real time, because in 91, when the natural disasters were done disposing of the Bushwhackers, they made their way to Andre, and Andre was ready for them and he went and grabbed one of his crutches and he swung the crutch and the two natural disasters looked like they were going you know earthquake and typhoon looked like they were ready to go in for the kill and out of nowhere hawk and animal the legion of doom make their presence to save andre the giant and the natural disasters end up going back to the to the locker room with jimmy hart and you were kind of foreshadowing what was to come between the lod and the natural disasters um I could see that same scenario happening with the disasters losing and trying to go after Andre and the LOD make their presence felt. What does it do for the natural disasters to lose to the Bushwhackers at SummerSlam 1991? Um, you know, the, to be honest with you, I really don't know. Um, it, as a newly formed team, as a big team like them to lose to the Bushwhackers, um, 
they're they're two big guys. They can get their heat back by you know putting a beating on the Bushwhackers and in, injuring them, um, and or, or taking it out on some random enhancement talents for weeks on superstars. That's very possible. I could see that happening. Um, you know, what's it do for the Bushwhackers? Well, they're not going to get in line for a tag team title shot, but um, it just kind of gives them a feel-good moment, so to speak, on a big pay-per-view like a SummerSlam. So um, as far as where they head following this, well, uh, if, a bu- if the Bushwhackers win, I don't really see them doing a whole lot. Maybe they get into it with the Nasty Boys, who are also managed by Jimmy Hart. Um Maybe they get into it with uh, other members of the former Heenan family, Haku and the Barbarian. Don't really know, um, but I can just kind of see the Bushwhackers just being there. Um, don't really see them in a tag team title feud. Um, the, 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 the most realistic, plausible outcome for them if they were to have won that match in 1991 is probably the Nasty Boys because they kind of got similar styles. The two brawling teams. Um, very unorthodox um, presentations by both teams. So um, that's probably where I could see the Bushwhackers. Where I see the natural disasters, probably, like I said earlier, just taking it out on enhancement talent, uh, eventually leading to the Legion of Doom. Um, Andre's just kind of like Andre at that time could probably still like be like the mentor to the Legion of Doom or the friend that, you know, the Legion of Doom are sticking up for. Against the two big bullies like the natural disasters, but there's no big payoff for Andre because his health is is not the greatest uh, with his knees and his back, as we saw um, in that in that time period, 1991. So yeah, that's where um, that's where I stand when it comes to this match here. Moving on, uh, a very important match in um, on this card. We had the million-dollar title on the line. The million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, defended his title against his former bodyguard and manservant, Virgil. Um, And this was something that was culminating, and and this was something that was building up and finally culminated for months. Um, This really started at the the 91 Rumble when Virgil Virgil and uh, DiBiase tagged up against Dusty and Dustin Rhodes. And... um, There were some issues and some miscommunication between the two sides. Um, They ended up getting a victory, but, um, you know, Virgil just kind of had enough of DiBiase, you know, picking on him and bullying him and bossing him around, even though, you know, he was being paid to do whatever DiBiase said. Um, Virgil just kind of had enough, and he got sick of cleaning the toe jam out of his toes and, you know, the dirt on his boots and, you know, the, the washing his car and doing all that stuff. And he finally let him have it, and he nailed him with the million-dollar championship. And the crowd in Orlando that night at the Rumble exploded. Um, it led to a match at WrestleMania with uh, – you know, Roddy Piper in Virgil's corner. Piper was, you know, I guess a, a a mentor, a trainer of some sorts. He felt bad for Virgil, and therefore he wanted to help Virgil and help him move along um, in his career in the World Wrestling Federation. And so he was in his corner for that match, and um, 
there was still really some unfinished business, but the, 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 the end of the road for this rivalry was another match for the world for the million dollar championship and uh history showed us on this night that you know virgil finally eked out the victory he picked up the w and became the million dollar champion and a million dollars richer by defeating ted dibiase um it was the um exposed turnbuckle that dibiase exposed um, that gave Virgil the victory and Madison Square Garden exploded. Roddy Piper, who was on commentary, was was um, very much into this bout. Um, you know, you could see the personal ha- uh, hatred that he had for DiBiase. DiBiase was taunting him throughout the match. And it was it was really adding to the the tension and the drama um, that was unfolding in the ring with DiBiase and Virgil. And, um, you know, it finally culminated with Virgil picking up the victory and becoming the million-dollar champion. Uh, a feel-good story for, um, you know, like it was an underdog story that, that um, you know, made a lot of sense. You know, you work for, you know, there's people out there that work for bosses that, you know, they don't particularly care for. The bosses treat them poorly. And, you know, finally, you know, they've had enough and they quit or they just kind of let their boss know how they feel. Um, in real life, you're not, you know, smashing a guy over the head with a championship belt in the office. But um, a lot of people could relate to Virgil's frustrations in 1991 because um, I'm sure that they worked, you know, in places where they didn't like the way they were treated and they couldn't do anything about it. So they lived vicariously through Virgil of all people, Virgil in 1991. So um, let's let's play role reversal here. Let's just say in 1991 that Virgil was unable to pick up the victory and DiBiase kept his million-dollar championship. Now, um, this is another scenario where the, you know, I'm not mad at the outcome that took place in 1991 the way it did, okay? I'm not trying to play fantasy booker here. I'm not trying to rewrite history, so to speak, even though this is a, you know, uh, we're trading places here, but I'm just kind of throwing all the what if scenarios out there. And similar to the Brett, Mr. Perfect situation, if DiBiase cheated to win and the, the, the official result of the match was him leaving with the million dollar championship, that crowd, Madison square garden would have, they wouldn't have been happy about it. But they would have wanted to see Virgil get another crack at DiBiase, and it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been uh, out of the ordinary if they had another match for the million dollar championship. Um, what would it do for Virgil to lose? Well, I mean, Virgil was pegged as this underdog, and he was likable. I mean, he wasn't the most popular guy, but people were into him. People liked him, and I feel like. If Virgil were to have lost, the people would have gotten behind him to get one more opportunity, but he would have had to have won that last chance at the title. You know what I mean? You can't keep dragging this out for very long. Because like I said, this started in in January of 91 at the Royal Rumble. This is when it really kicked off between the two of them. And they had a a major match at WrestleMania. Then there's a SummerSlam match. So I, I, I guess it makes sense that it did blow off at... SummerSlam with Virgil picking up the victory and becoming the million dollar champion. But if they went a little longer with the chase, um, I don't feel like um, I don't feel like, uh, you know, it would have 
gone very much longer, like another month or so at best. And Virgil would have had to have won. Otherwise, people wouldn't have taken him very seriously anymore, um, even with even with the association with Roddy Piper. So um, what does it do for DiBiase? Well, it just puts more heat on him. You know, he was a great bad guy. He knew how to you know get the people fired up and he knew how to get people to hate him. So um, it wouldn't have done anything good or bad uh, for um you know Ted DiBiase's character to keep the million dollar championship so um but as you can tell with some of these um some of these uh, trading places uh role reversals here um we got a fair amount of heels coming out you know the victor in these first few matches warlord roma and hercules mr perfect million dollar man so out of the four matches i've you know played role reversal with three out of those four we got we're heavy on the heels and back then in 1991 um pay-per-views were were you know mostly designed to see the baby faces you know pick up the victory and get their revenge and things culminate um for the most part you know wwf at that time was a very baby face driven organization most of their champions were good guys um they chased the bad guys but at the big events the champ, the, the the baby faces would you know get their comeuppance, so or they would give their comeuppance to the heels, so to speak. So, um, realistically, in '91, three out of the four first matches with heel victories. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that would really fly in 1991. But at the same time, towards the end of this year and going into '92, we were we were we were headed for some change in the WWF. Um, so maybe this would have been the, the, the start of that, so to speak. So uh, let's move on here. We have another interesting match here with a stipulation. Um, the jailhouse match, the big boss man from Cobb County, Georgia, uh, wrestling the Mountie, who was managed by the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Um, the loser of this match would have to spend the night in a jail inside New York City. Um, and this was a lot of fun. I like watching this match, not because it's it's great technically, but, um, you know, the, the, the presentation with, you know, the Mountie, you know, scolding the cops before the match and telling them what they need to do when it's time to arrest the boss man after the match. And, you know, I don't want you to do it the New York style. I want you to do it the Mountie style. You're going to shackle him up, handcuff him, throw away the key. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was really funny stuff. Um and then, you know, it's just ironic that, like, the tables were kind of turned on the Mountie uh, when he ended up losing. And, you know, they didn't do things the New York style. They did things the Mountie style. And they threw him in the paddy wagon, and he was off to spend the night in the slammer. Um, and then the, the vignettes that followed with the, the taking the pictures and the fingerprints. You want the finger? Here's the finger. And he gives the cops the bird. And then they throw him in the cell at the, you know, and he's with, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of you know uh inmates and uh you know one of the guys appears to you know be uh, a homosexual and uh he, he approaches the mountie and he says don't you love the way leather feels against your skin and you hear the mountie scream get me out of here i want my lawyer like it was just it, it was great stuff it was it was as a kid it was funny to watch and even back as an adult it's even hilarious more hilarious to watch um but here's another situation where if we trade places and the big boss man spends the night in jail, maybe, maybe, just maybe this leads to boss man's rivalry with Nails. Now, I know Nails came 
after WrestleMania 8 in 1992, um, which we've discussed on the, you know, marking out the day's weekend warriors show, uh, with Kobe Nida. And, um, you know, maybe this would be the early incarnations of the big boss man nails rivalry. If the boss man spent the night in jail. Um, however, this was a very babyface driven show where the good guys had to get their big wins. And so, you know, realistically, the boss man spending the night in jail, um, he's the big boss man. It wouldn't do anything to him. But I think if if his character lost and he had to spend the night in prison, it probably would have led to something with like an inmate it, that he had to share a cell with and they'd show the footage and then it would lead to some matches down the line, um, you know, between the boss man and that person. Like I said, maybe that's when they introduced the Nails character. Who knows if they even thought of the Nails character at that time? Um, they probably didn't. Um, they probably didn't really develop it till a few months after that, I would say. But, um, you know, or at least thought about it and then eventually developed it. And then it finally came to be in the spring of 92. But um, that would have been interesting in 1991 if Bossman lost and we would have seen, you know, Nails make his debut. Nails and Bossman just kind of have it out in this prison cell. And you cut back to these different um pieces of video footage of the two of them brawling in the cell and you know the 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 cops um having to separate them put them in separate cells um that's really i that's really where i could see you know big boss man um in this situation because he's like he's a prison guard you know he he's he would it wouldn't hurt him if he were to get thrown in jail but i feel like it would had to have made sense for him to go in there um and and moving forward, um, his character's trajectory would have had to have made sense if he were to have spent the night in jail. What does it do for the Mountie? Gives him a big victory. Maybe it puts him in in, in title contention. You know, um, for 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 the Intercontinental Championship. Let's just say if Bret Hart did win. You know, which he did, by the way. Um, and the two of them would eventually meet up um, in early 1992. But maybe this would have expedited that process uh, a little bit differently um, with with Mounty picking up a victory. But Mounty was one of those characters that was so easily hateable that, like, he had to get his ass kicked and he had to go to jail. So this is probably the most unrealistic trading places scenario. I was kind of fishing here on what, you know, trajectories each of these guys could have gone down. But if boss man spends a night in a slammer, it's leading to something with whoever he's locked up with. And then maybe a match down the line, maybe, maybe, maybe that's where they introduce the nails character or a variation of the character, or maybe, you know, maybe boss man, boss man's involvement in being locked up and, and losing that jailhouse match is the inspiration behind the nails character. You know, I don't know, but the, it would be interesting if he were to have had to spend the night in jail. Um, you know, people still would have loved him. People still would have wanted him to see, you know, him get his revenge on the Mountie. So I, I, I don't see that being the most realistic scenario, but you know, like I said, I was fishing. So let's move on here. We have another, now, like I said, this is this event I picked um, because it's one of my favorite Summer Slams, and I really felt like a lot of things were starting to change as a youngster watching this um, and and what came to be after this. Um, 
especially with like Ric Flair's involvement and his debut, bringing the big gold belt from the NWA, WCW um, to the WWF. And so um, we really were starting to see some changes at that time. And that's just, this is really why I picked this event, because I feel like this, this show could have been um, a great launching point for some of these changes. And it was at, at that time in 91. And even with some of these scenarios, it could have been a great launching point. But the next match here we have is, <clears throat> excuse me, the Legion of Doom and the Nasty Boys for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Now, the Legion of Doom came in a year prior, pretty hot, coming off of um, a, a solid run with Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW. I shouldn't say solid. It was pretty damn good. They were one of the biggest draws for the company at that time. And they came in, and they had their sights set on another face-painted duo or trio, I should say, in Demolition, Axe, Smash, and Crush. And they disposed of those guys pretty quickly. And I remember as a kid, I was really looking forward to seeing, you know, lengthy – um, a lengthy rivalry between, you know, those those two teams and didn't really get a whole lot of that. But um, the Legion of Doom kind of went through the, the, the gamut of teams. They, you know, had wrestled the Heart Foundation at one point. They wrestled Demolition. Um, they disposed of power and glory very, very quickly um, at WrestleMania 7, which I made mention of earlier. I think it was like 13 seconds or some, some shit like that. So... Um, this situation here, they were. They, it, it had been a while since they were in the title picture, okay? And it was bound to happen that the people wanted to see the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, become the WWF Tag Team Champions. Now, the Nasty Boys had just come off a big victory over the Hart Foundation at WrestleMania 7. They picked up the titles, and they had run with those championships for a number of months, Um heading into SummerSlam. So it was bound to happen that these two teams were going to meet. Um, and this match was a, you know, a no holds barred, no disqualification match, no rules, anything goes um, between these two teams, which was one of the first times, at least in the WWF, that we saw something like that, um, at least for me as a kid. Um, so history showed us that, the Legion of Doom would come out the victors and would become the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. They were the first tag team in wrestling history to win three different tag team championships in three different organizations. They were AWA World Tag Team Champions, they were NWA World Tag Team Champions, and then they became WWF World Tag Team Champions. So it was a big, it was a big accomplishment for the team and, and, a, and, a, and a big uh, footnote in uh, wrestling history at that time. Um, that win for them was really the measuring stick as to what tag teams should aspire to accomplish, um, you know, in, in the coming years in wrestling. Uh, a lot of teams like the Dudley Boys look to, you know, the Legion of Doom as, as the measuring stick of what teams should aspire to be. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen interviews with both those, you know, both Bubba and Devon in the past where they've talked about the Road Warriors being a big inspiration, being the greatest tag team of all time, everything they accomplished, yada, yada, yada. And I feel like this was that match that kind of helped put them in that. That, that role, you know what I mean? That almost greatest of all time tag team status. Um, fun match. Uh, Madison Square Garden was really into it. They were excited when the Road Warriors won. Uh, the Nasty Boys were easily hateable. I mean, come on, they're the Nasty Boys. You know, a name like that, you, 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 you have a hard time liking them, especially when they're going up against the Road Warriors. And you had Jimmy Hart on the outside who was having a rough night at that point in 1991. I mean, the Natural Disasters had some issues with the Road Warriors, and they didn't really, uh, you know, look too, uh, 
I wouldn't say look too strong, but they didn't really uh, their their night didn't end the way they wanted to. I guess you could say um, after their victory over the Bushwhackers because they wanted to get their hands on Andre and Hawk and Animal got a piece of them, and um, then you have um, you know the Mountie. He's in jail. In 1991, after losing to the big boss man. So Jimmy Hart had his hands full. He had a rough night um, <laughs> that night in Madison Square Garden. But, um, you know, like I said, this show um, really heavy on the heel victories. And I feel like, um, you know, realistically in 1991, that would have been that that would have that probably that probably wouldn't have happened. Okay, but because I enjoy this show so much, and because there's so much change that follows this event, I feel like that change and some of these role reversals could really mesh well together. Um, from you know, trading places currently now to back then in 1991. Um, so let's just say, for argument's sake, that the Nasty Boys did keep the championships. Now. Um, you would probably get the same match you got aside from the finish. However, um, because of the no disqualification rule, I feel like the natural disasters would be making their presence felt in this match, and they would be the reason why the Legion of Doom do not pick up the victory. Um, the difference here between this scenario and the scenario I mentioned with Virgil losing and with Bret Hart losing is that I don't think the audience would be so receptive to it. Um, meaning like, it would it would almost be like a it would almost be like in 1991 the the, the audience from 2019 was sitting in the in the crowd um, and they would shit all over the finish because they wanted to see the Legion of Doom pick up the victory. It would get very aggressive. Then the audience would would I wouldn't say riot or borderline riot, but they would let their voice be heard that like you know that finish sucked. Um, so I but you know at the same time. It would give the Legion of Doom something to do with the natural disasters, maybe another roadblock to then go back to the, you know, get through that and then go back to the Nasty Boys. But at the same time, people are yearning for it and the, and the, the Legion of Doom were you know, destined to become WWF Tag Team Champions. Now, what does this do for the Nasty Boys winning this match and keeping their championships? Well, it gives them some shelf life. Um... You know, they could probably work with the Rockers for a little bit. They could probably work with the Bushwhackers. I mean, uh, you know, the Bush, you know, if, if we go by all these trading places, r- role reversals here, um, Bushwhackers beat the, the, the natural disasters. That could mean an opportunity um, at the, uh, you know, the, the WWF Tag Team Championships. And the natural disasters can move over to the Legion of Doom, and it would give the Legion of Doom something to do until they eventually make it back to the championships with the Nasty Boys. Um, Nasty Boys and the Rockers could be an interesting rivalry. Um, both teams have wrestled each other before that and maybe the nasty boys keeping the championships and the rockers challenging for those titles could be the 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 spark that 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 really ignites the flame that is the split between Shawn michaels and marty janae which we eventually would see um in the end of 1991 going into 1992 so um, maybe maybe we do see the legion of doom lose this bout but i i like i said Realistically, they were destined to be the champions. If they had one more roadblock in the natural disasters, um, I think the people would have wouldn't have 
been as receptive to it. So um, realistically, maybe it was the right call that the Legion of Doom won the titles, gives everyone that big moment of the Legion of Doom becoming the champions in Madison Square Garden. Then they move on to defend those titles against the Natural Disasters, who pretty much were Jimmy Hart's main focus uh, as a tag team because he had a lot of people within his um, his stable of guys. And once the Nasty Boys lost the titles, I feel like they, they kind of got put on the back burner a little bit, which there's nothing really wrong with that. You kind of cycle guys out and teams out and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I stand um, when it comes to the tag team championship match. Here's a match that was just thrown together on this card. Don't have a whole lot for this, but we had Erwin R. Scheister, Wrestling Greg the Hammer Valentine. History showed us that IRS picked up the victory. This was a match that was just kind of thrown together um, to put these two guys on the card. Um, you know, let the, let's just say that, you know, uh, history wasn't very kind to IRS. Um, IRS would end up picking up the victory in 1991, but let's say he didn't. And let's say Greg the Hammer Valentine won. What does it do for both of these guys if Greg the Hammer Valentine picks up the victory? I mean, Greg the Hammer was... In some ways, you know, just another guy on the card. So I don't think it would have done anything good or bad for his character. And IRS was a newer character um, in the WWF and maybe, um, you know, losing uh, one of his first big pay-per-view matches would have slowed down his momentum. Um, You know, Mike Rotundo, great in-ring technician. Uh, some some consider him, you know, one of the best mechanics uh, in the ring when it comes to technique and being able to put a match together. Um, the father of WWE's Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas, a member of the, um, you know, the he's related to wrestling royalty in the Wyndham family, the Mulligans, Blackjack Mulligan, brother-in-law of Barry Wyndham. Um, you know, the, the, the father of Barry Windham, and he's also the brother-in-law of Barry Windham. So, I mean, he's got some wrestling pedigree um, in his in his uh, family tree, so to speak. So, the IRS character was a, a change for him, but they were really going forward with it because, you know, who loves to pay their taxes? Nobody does. Everyone thinks that they get fucked over on their taxes year after year. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have discussed how the IRS has probably fucking boned us time in and time out. And I'm sure all of you have, have felt the same way. So who is going to relate and love a tax man? Nobody. So this was like a perfect character for him. And he did a great job of it, in my opinion. Um, so the forward momentum of, of him losing, I think, would have really slowed him down a little bit. But um, as, as you've seen um, in years later, um, the IRS character has just kind of been another one of those characters that has been solid and reliable but didn't really do a ton with i mean actually you know what i i I take that back um i mean a couple of tag team runs as a tag team champion with ted dibiase um the million dollar man towards the end of the million dollar man's career uh singles run against razor ramon for the intercontinental title so um you know that was you know three four years prior you know, or following this event here. So, I mean, I guess a loss, IRS could bounce back from it, but 
they weren't really doing much with either guy, so it doesn't really make much of a difference. Greg Valentine didn't get to shit if he won this match, and IRS wasn't going to really amount to a whole lot. Um, it wasn't really going to kill him if he had lost this match either, because he was still brand new. But at the same time, when you introduce a new character, especially during that time in wrestling, um, you want to make that character believable and credible, so he needed a victory. So, yeah, that's what I feel about this finish here. All right, let's get into um, let's get into the, um, the 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 double main event here. We have the match made in hell, the handicap match: Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior taking on the Triangle of Terror of Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, and General Adnan. You have Sid Justice. As your guest referee, okay, he was a big part of the buildup for this match. He was introduced to WWF programming in the spring of 1991, and he was placed in this match as the special guest referee. And they had already started building the seeds of dissension, um, the tension between him and the team of Hogan and Warrior. Um, there was even some some speculation from the announcers week after week on TV that Sid was going to be the fourth member of this triangle of terror with Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa. So there was this buildup heading into the match that can Sid Justice be a biased referee? Hell, can Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior get along? Both individuals, um, you know, were these two super forces, these, you know, two, I don't want to say mega powers, but these, these two juggernauts that were kind of bookending the World Wrestling Federation at the time, um, the two biggest names on the on the babyface side. And they were teaming up, but everyone remembered the history that these two had with each other from WrestleMania six, which was 18 months prior. So you there was a lot of questions that needed to be answered and a lot of um, a lot of what if scenarios. Um, that was going into this match in 1991. What if Sid was the reason why Hogan and Warrior lost? What if Sid joined the Triangle of Terror? What if Hogan and Warrior couldn't get along? And, and it was the downfall of their, their partnership and, and, and losing the match. I mean, as a kid, I remember all these things and thinking to myself, like, what's going to happen? This is crazy. And Hogan and Warrior were already at a disadvantage because it was a three-on-two handicap match, the match made in hell. So, um, you know... History, history showed us a number of different things um, from the finish of this match here. Okay, first of all, um, we saw the we, we we saw the the exit of the Ultimate Warrior um, after this event. It would turn out um, that Warrior had some issues with his contract with Vince and he threatened to walk out if he wasn't paid a certain amount of money and he held Vince up for money before the event and Vince decided to give in and give him that money and then he fired him after the match. Um, we saw the, 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 the new partnership between Hogan and Sid following this match um, because going into the match, um, there was... There was some tension between both, and we were we were eventually going to be headed for a showdown between the two, but we had to find a way to get there. And they started with this, you know, this fast friendship following the the the, the Hogan Warrior victory, um, and then we kind of saw the Triangle of Terror, um, which were a big part 
of WWF programming at that time. Slaughter was the top heel, the Iraqi sympathizer with General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa, who was the Iron Sheik. And those guys just kind of kind of faded it off into the, the 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 dark side, I guess you could say. They were they were they were really nowhere to be found for a while um, following this. And then eventually they would break them up. Um, Slaughter would be a good guy and he'd want his country back. And it was just Adnan and Mustafa. And those two guys did nothing. And then Slaughter became G.I. Joe all over again. The real American hero. So um, we saw a number of different things transpire from this. Um, I have a feeling with this scenario, we could kind of get to some of those some of those situations that took place in 1991 if we played this role reversal here okay now with all these trading places scenarios that i've covered this has been a heel heavy show i mean so much so that like it's not even that realistic but once again i'm gonna put it out there because i think i've said it a number of times and i'll reiterate it again so much change was taking place following this event and going into 1992 that i think it could you know real time 91 and you know Role reversal 2019 trading places. I think they could they they could mesh well and work together. So let's do it. Um, let's say history showed us that Sergeant Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa picked up the victory over Hulk Hogan, who was the WWF champion at, at the time, by the way, and the Ultimate Warrior. But how would they get that victory? Well, you could easily say, well, it's a three on two situation. They're up a guy. Hogan and Warrior are playing catch-up as the handicap team, but that would be too easy, okay? Especially with all the drama that was going on heading into this match. Now, let's just say the tension between Hogan, Sid, and Warrior reaches a fever pitch. It's at the boiling point in this match, and something takes place um, involving these three that results in the triangle of terror winning the match. Okay. Let's just say there were a few, t- and, and in real time in 1991, let's go back here for a minute. Ultimate warrior a few times was running the ropes and he bumped into Sid and they had this big stare down. If you guys clicked on the link on our Facebook page, you saw the collage that, um, that, you know, I do all these collages when it comes to hyping up each week's show and I put pictures up there. So it kind of gives you guys a little bit of a visual of what we're going to be covering. And there's a picture in this collage that I made of warrior and Sid facing off with each other. At one point, warrior ran the ropes. He bumped into Sid by accident. And they had this big stare down and the crowd mass of square garden was like, Ooh, well, what if there's a scenario in this match in this role reversal where warrior Hogan's getting beat down and you know, warrior goes to make, you know, Hogan makes the hot tag to warrior warrior goes to clean house and he clotheslines Adnan. He clotheslines Mustafa and he goes to clothesline slaughter slaughter ducks. He nails Sid and Sid bounces through the second rope. He's out to the floor and then there's all kinds of chaos going on in the ring. Hogan gets back in there to help warrior clean house and we see Sid get Sid. The camera pans to Sid on the floor and he's not happy. And by this point he has had enough. Um, and before this clothesline to Sid takes place, um, Sid's officiating 
perfectly down the middle, but there are some times where he could have made some questionable calls that could have gone either way, and there's some issues with the calls that he made um, towards Hogan and Warrior in this match, and it just kind of builds up and builds up, and the clothesline is that tipping point. And Sid comes back in the ring after Hogan has kind of disposed of Adnan. He's disposed of uh, of um, and he's and he's working on Mustafa in the corner. Sid comes in, nails Warrior with a kick, choke slam. Slaughter looks at him like, huh? Like Slaughter didn't expect that to happen. And out of nowhere, Sid makes a quick fast count: one, two, three, and he powders out of there. And Hogan's like, what the hell happened? And Warrior gets up and he goes to chase after Sid. I mean, if Warrior didn't hold Vince up for money, if Warrior didn't get fired after that match, Sid and Warrior probably would have been a big marquee matchup. Um, Whether that would have been taking place after SummerSlam or maybe they saved it. Maybe they, they, they saved it for later on down the line. Who knows? Now, you also have to remember, too. Before this match even took place in real time in 1991, the Ultimate Warrior was involved in a rivalry with The Undertaker, and he was with he was under the guidance and the tutelage of Jake the Snake Roberts, or so he thought, to try to channel his inner dark side, to, to combat the evil that is The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. And Jake lured him into a trap, and Warrior was bit by the cobra, and we saw the partnership of Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker. So, in 1991, we were led to believe that once Warrior was done with whatever he was doing with Hogan and the Triangle of Terror, that this was going to lead to him combating Jake Roberts and The Undertaker. Now, whether he was going to do that alone or whether he was going to have a partner, that's a whole different story. So... Sid and Warrior kind of meeting and maybe hooking it up. I could see that taking place, but I could also see that taking place down the line. Maybe, you know, past Survivor Series going into the Royal Rumble or even WrestleMania the following year in 1992. If Warrior were to stick around that long. Also got to remember, too, he got he got shit canned after this match. Now... Let's just say here, Triangle Terror picks up the victory, and it's Hogan who grabs that, gets that hot tag, cleans house. Him and Sid kind of bump and get physical with each other, and Sid is the one to cost Hogan and Warrior the match. Hogan's the WWF champion, okay? So I feel like. I feel like Sid pulling the fast count to give the Triangle of Terror the victory with Hogan as the champion is not very realistic for 1991 because Slaughter will have had to have argued that I'd been the WWF champion. I should get another opportunity at the title. And they were kind of past that point, I think. Um, it looked like they were moving in a different direction when it came to Slaughter's um, role in the title picture. So... Maybe a disqualification of some sorts. Maybe um, Sid and Hogan get physical and they brawl to end the match. And we get 
you know, a disqualification or the, you know, a number of different WWF officials and referees, they throw the match out and we don't have a clear cut winner. Um, <clears throat> that could be the early, that could be the, the beginning stages of Hogan and Sid for the title. Maybe it leads to something with the two of them at Survivor Series, or maybe it leads to something um, before Survivor Series. Now, you also got to remember, too, Ric Flair was a big part of the end of 1991 with his presence coming in and proclaiming to be the real world's champion. So how does Ric Flair have a role in, in the title picture at some point? Um, Hogan and Sid against each other, that kind of puts Flair off into the back burner. Okay. Um, so right then and there, um, a Hogan and Sid partnership that took place in real time in 1991. That makes sense. But um, the possibilities of the two of them meeting up and being, you know, uh, being rivals um, with Hogan's championship on the line, it, it, there's some there's some intrigue to it. Um, maybe Undertaker isn't the one to get the title shot at Survivor Series. Maybe it's Hogan and Sid and maybe Flair helps Sid beat Hogan and Sid goes off and Sid's the champion. And Sid had his has his run with God knows who as the champion. You know, maybe Sergeant Slaughter, maybe the Ultimate Warrior, maybe um, Randy Savage. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, who knows? You know, the, like I said, if you who are, depending on who you talk to, Sid was supposed to be the next guy. Sid was supposed to be the the the, the flag bearer that they put all their eggs in the in the the Sid Justice basket, and you know he wanted to. He wanted Hulk Hogan's spot, and Hulk Hogan looked to be, you know, taking time off, not being as full-time in the wrestling world, wanted to make movies, um, and, and, and scale down his schedule. Maybe Sid, as the champion, was going to maybe, – maybe, maybe that was to be. Who knows? Um, now, what does this do for the Triangle of Terror here? Um, you know, in real time in 1991, they split up. Not too long after this, I want to say, maybe a month or two at best. And uh, I feel like um, one of those proposed finishes I mentioned where Sid makes the fast count and uh, on either Hogan or Warrior and or you do the, the disqualification schmas, so to speak, with all the officials coming out. Maybe I'll even get Jack Tunney out there. I can see Jack Tunney making an appearance, trying to break this whole thing up. And then you're left with with um, with the Triangle of Terror and, and Warrior, okay? And they're beating down on him. And Slaughter has had enough, and he wants to leave. But Adnan and Mustafa are like, no, we're not done yet. Get back in here. And that's the early stages of the split between them. It's Slaughter's like, you know what? I did I did what I needed to accomplish. We don't need to do any more to him. And you kind of see a softer side of Sergeant Slaughter. And that begins the the split between those two. That's something you know, that's something I think is realistic for nineteen ninety-one. Um so just to kind of backtrack here, rewind a little bit here, um, where everybody goes. If Triangle of Terror wins. I still think we see them split up. I still think we get 
if Ultimate Warrior doesn't get fired in the Triangle Terror wins, I still think we get Ultimate Warrior doing something with Jake the Snake and The Undertaker based off the Cobra bite. Um, if the Triangle Terror wins, I think we get Hogan and Sid early, and it's not saved for WrestleMania. Um, maybe we get it for Survivor Series. Uh, and maybe Ric Flair has some involvement in that. Maybe Flair helps Sid win the title. And we get to... Um, we get to the, uh, the, 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 the dream match with Hogan and Flair at WrestleMania with no championship. And Sid does something else completely different, but with the title. A lot of different directions that several of these guys could go on between Sid and Hogan, Flair, Warrior, Jake and Undertaker, the Triangle of Terror. I mean, there's so many different, <clears throat> excuse me, trajectories that these talents could go on had the Triangle of Terror won this match. Um, yeah, this was probably the most interesting one because there were so many moving parts at this time in 1991 that it made for um, some interesting television following this. So, uh, yeah, um, Triangle of Terror, if they picked up the victory, I could still see a split of some kind. Um, it's, I could still see um, Hogan and Sid having some issues, uh, Warrior kind of going off doing his own thing against Jake and Undertaker, and I could see Flair kind of slowly sneaking his way into the, the, the mix with, uh, with Hogan and Sid, um, building towards uh, WrestleMania 8 between uh, uh, him, and, uh, him and Hogan uh, in a non-title match. So, yeah, possibilities are endless when it comes to this. Um, so that was the match made in heaven, or I'm sorry, the match made in hell. The match made in heaven, the wedding. Um, History showed us that um, this love affair between the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth was going to headline SummerSlam 1991 inside Madison Square Garden. Uh, we were going to get the vows, and someone was going to say, I do, or, ooh, yeah. And uh, we were going to, you know, end the evening with the, the, the royal couple of the WWF, the first lady of the World Wrestling Federation, Miss Elizabeth, marrying the love of her life, the macho man Randy Savage. Uh -huh. And um, that's what we got to witness. We got to witness this love affair take place in front of our very own eyes for a number of years, culminating um, with with their vows and saying, I do. And they, they go off the air with balloons coming down from the ceiling and Savage and Elizabeth leaving to, uh, you know, live happily ever after. Um, and then if you were a diehard wrestling fan like myself, you turned on Wrestling Challenge or Superstars, one of the two, um, late, you know, the following weekend, and you saw the exclusive footage of the horrifying incident that occurred at the wedding reception when Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth were opening their gifts and when they opened uh, one of their gifts it turned out it was a King Cobra and we saw the presence of Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker crashing this wedding and attacking Randy Savage scaring Miss Elizabeth with this Cobra um, let's rewind back here just for a little bit because in 1991 um, on the SummerSlam broadcast uh, Jake, the Snake Roberts, and Undertaker's names were mentioned during the middle of the IRS Greg the Hammer Valentine match when Gorilla Monsoon said that some sources of his spotted the Undertaker and Jake the Snake Roberts in the building. Um, and it was just kind of loosely foreshadowed that um, they were going to be involved um, 
and something a part of this show now for those of you that ordered the pay-per-view like myself we didn't get to see that wedding reception um crashed by jake the snake and undertaker we had to wait following week and what was to come from that was randy savage's reinstatement into the wwf because at that time he was not an active wrestler he had lost a career match to the ultimate warrior earlier in the year at wrestlemania 7 that classic Uh, and so savage was on commentary with piper and vince on superstars and you know, that's how the whole love story thing kind of unfolded from WrestleMania 7 dragging on to SummerSlam. So Savage had to be reinstated to get involved with Jake again, as well as Undertaker. So, like I said, this has been a heel-heavy show. If we traded places, we had a lot of bad guys coming out on top, and this probably wouldn't have been a very favorable um, event in fans' eyes. So, um you know, realistically, a lot of these scenarios, um, I don't think all would have taken place in one night, but I think they're all realistic scenarios for for the winners and losers of these respective matches. Now, how do we trade places with a wedding? Um, I mean, we certainly wouldn't have seen Miss Elizabeth say, sorry, Randy. I changed my mind. I don't want to be married to you anymore. After all the years of of abuse I've had to take from you, I decided, you know, I'm not going to do it. We wouldn't have watched. We wouldn't have witnessed that. That's for sure. We wouldn't have witnessed someone coming out and saying, you know, I object to this wedding, you know, because macho man is the father of my child. We wouldn't have seen anything like that. This was 1991. Um, This was still a kid friendly show. Um, I. I do think that um, we could have seen The Undertaker and Jake's presence at this wedding on the pay-per-view portion of the broadcast. Um, I think we could have seen Jake and Undertaker maybe crash this wedding after Savage and Elizabeth say I do. Um and we see Jake and Undertaker lay out the Macho Man. Maybe Jake pulls the Cobra out, um, and you know has the bag with the King Cobra hiding underneath the floral arrangements that was set up around the ring. The ring was set up to look like you know a, an altar uh, with with flowers and all kinds of wedding accoutrements, as they like to say. Um, there was even like water fountain shooting out of it. We talked about it on the on the, the the wedlocked countdown, which you can find in the archives over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean, as well as SoundCloud.com and on our social media, Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two, as well as our Twitter handle at kicking out two. Um, yeah, maybe we could have seen Undertaker and Jake's presence at this wedding in the, inside the arena, which would have resulted in maybe the Ultimate Warrior making the save. If you remember correctly, Ultimate Warrior was the one that um, was the one that, you know, ended Randy Savage's career at WrestleMania seven. If Warrior hadn't gotten fired and we see Jake and Undertaker attack Randy Savage um, or not even necessarily attack Randy Savage. Maybe they, maybe Randy and Liz, um, maybe Randy and Liz are, are, you know, they say I do. The balloons fall from the sky, and they're ready to, they're ready to leave the ring. And all of a sudden, you see Jake and Undertaker and Paul Bearer like at the curtain, and looking to confront them, looking to spoil the fun. And we all think that this pay per view is going to end with Randy Savage getting destroyed by Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker. And then out of nowhere, the ultimate warrior appears to save the macho man. And you have this team with the two of them. 
Warrior being the guy that ended Randy Savage's career, ironically, could also be the same individual to help get him reinstated. Um, but would that? How would that have played out? I mean, how would the? How would the? Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say how would that have played out. I mean, I could tell you how that would have played out, but how? Uh, there would have had to have been something to get Savage's reinstatement in. You know what I mean? And I think the the, the, the Cobra coming out of the box and, and the way things transpired following the wedding ceremony itself at the reception that they had filmed and aired on the, 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 the syndicated programming the following weekend, I think that would have been the 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 tipping point for maybe if warrior made the save instead of sid we would have gotten a warrior savage team up against these two and warrior would have been the one to say hey you know what let macho man you know fight for his wife's honor let him fight by my side against the evil of jake the snake and the undertaker um yeah that could have been something i i would have gotten behind as a kid in 1991 um, I probably would have liked Ultimate Warrior more if he had made the save uh, for Randy Savage because Randy Savage was one of my favorites. Now, um, whether that would have been, you know, at the reception or at the, um, the, the actual ceremony inside the arena, it could have gone either way. But um, I still feel like the pay-per-view would have had to have ended on a high note. So um, Jake and Undertaker trying to spoil the fun. Um, maybe attacking Savage briefly, but Warrior making that save at the end at the wedding, and we go off the air with Warrior helping Savage up, and Jake and Undertaker powdering out, and we're kind of foreshadowing. Something like that in 1991, is, I can buy into that for sure. So um, what does it do for, for, for either side? Well, Undertaker and Jake are now like the, the, the top bad guys in the company at that time. Um, have to be. I mean, you spoiled the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth's wedding. Um, and Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage are clearly at the top of the food chain when it comes to good guys. And the fans would be clamoring for Savage to get his revenge and get reinstated back. And like I said, ironically, the guy who ended his career is the guy that's going to help him get reinstated into the WWF. And that's the Ultimate Warrior. So that would have been pretty cool to see. Um, for sure. And uh, this has been pretty cool mapping out these trajectories with SummerSlam 1991 with our Trading Places series. Thank you all so very much for being a part of this this week as we head towards the 2019 SummerSlam event set to take place in Toronto in just a few weeks. Um, next week. Be on the lookout as uh, we're going to be bringing you a special watch party. The watch party poll winner from a, from, from a while back on Facebook. Um, this SummerSlam 91 was our Trading Places series. Um, it was going head-to-head with SummerSlam 1992 to determine which which show we were going to watch in a watch party. Well, not, SummerSlam 92 um, ended up getting the victory, but I still wanted to cover SummerSlam 91 in some form or fashion with this Trading Places series. Who knows, maybe next year we'll do a watch party of SummerSlam 91 and uh, look back. But um, next week we're going to do a watch party of SummerSlam 1992, headlined by the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, and Brett the Hitman Hart for the Intercontinental title. We saw Undertaker and Kamala. We saw the Ultimate Warrior and the Macho Man face off for the WWF Championship. Shawn Michaels and the model Rick Martel one-on-one, but you know they couldn't punch each other in the face. That was the rule. Legion of Doom against Money Incorporated. Virgil against Nails. Crush against the Repo Man. The Beverly Brothers and the Natural Disasters. 
pretty fun show from Wembley Stadium, London, England, 1992. SummerSlam 1992. Special watch party right here next week on Kicking Out at 2. And with that being said, I think it's about that time that we put this show down for the three count. Roll reversal is done this week. We are moving on to 1992 next week, and we will see you all then. Take care.